I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next interview is with Margaret Byrne, and we chat about her new uh, deeply intimate film, Any Given Day. It is a film that you're going to want to see. This is, uh, as I said, I mean, it's a heartbreaking uh, story. Uh, well, it's a, it's a heartbreaking, it's about three stories, really. And you can find out not only more about uh, where the film is screening. Uh, in fact, it's coming up in the very near future at the Real Abilities Film Festival uh, in New York, uh, April 8th, 2022. 20, uh, actually, check that out. But look on uh, the site, Any Given Day Film. Dot com. You can find out more uh, about uh, the press around it. You can learn more about what was behind the film. And, and also, if you're interested in hosting a screening, you can uh, check that out there, too. This is, a, 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 as I said, a very intimate portrayal about uh, mental health issues, incarceration, about uh, our response, not only uh, as individuals, but as families and communities, to um, how, how, how we can step in to, to issues in our own families, in our own communities, and, and make a difference and, and make connections. It's a film about community, and, and it's a film about participation. And, and it's about, really interestingly, uh, uh, Margaret makes this distinction about how mental health is not necessarily needed to be seen as a weakness, mental health issues. And we often do sort of start there as a, it's a deficiency, and that's not necessarily uh, an accurate way into this conversation. This is a film about uh, figuring things out in safe places. And as I said, it's about context and about community. It's about accountability. And we we get into these conversations about honesty and vulnerability and, and how um, uh, policymakers can make a difference here. You know, this really is about transformation. And too often we see these things as transactional, and that can apply to the nonprofit sector. It can apply to uh, parenting and, and building communities, and so many things. International development work, and one of the really interesting things I, I loved about what came out of our conversation is this is about not looking um, at, at ourselves as liabilities, but as resources. 
And how do we do that? And how do we hold ourselves accountable? So uh, buckle up for a fascinating conversation with Margaret, but also a really important film called Any Given Day, anygivendayfilm.com. You can find out more uh, about it there. And also davidpecklive.com for more information about my writing and speaking. And also uh, Face to Face Live is under that umbrella as well, Face to Face Live. .ca. You can find close to 600 interviews, lots of great stuff coming up from Hot Docs, even from last year, TIFF. Hot Docs is coming up. I'm about to step into South by Southwest. Lots going on. So many great conversations happening. And please leave us a review. If, if you love what we're doing here, iTunes, Spotify, where you listen to podcasts, it's super important that you subscribe to Face to Face, wherever you listen to podcasts to that feed. But also a, a, a simple review would be brilliant. And if you're listening uh, on YouTube, watching on YouTube, uh, a thumbs up and please subscribe to the channel. We would so appreciate it. But don't touch that dial. Coming right up, Margaret Byrne talking about her important new film, Any Given Day. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest uh, uh, here with us today. We have Margaret Byrne to talk about her new film, Any Given Day, premiering at uh, Hot Docs. And, and Margaret, thank, thanks for your time today and for joining us on Face to Face. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, hey, I'd like to ask in this crazy COVID world we're living in, uh, you, you, we are face-to-face digitally, but but uh, it's too bad we couldn't actually have been hanging out at a local coffee shop at Hot Docs here in Toronto. Uh, I'm just outside the city. Where, where are you calling in from today? I'm in Chicago on the west side. On the west, the west side of Chicago. I think there's a lot going on on the west side. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Well, listen, thanks, thanks for coming in. So, you know what? Hey, congratulations on the film, uh, and it's a it's a beautiful poetic intimate piece. And can you can you help to give our listeners a little bit of context? Uh, I got lots of notes and questions I want to ask you. It's uh, it, yeah, if you could just sort of paint a bit of a picture for us. Sure. So it's a a film I started making in two thousand fifteen. Uh, At the time, the Cook County Jail was the largest single-site mental health facility in the country. And that meant that on any given day, there were uh, 3,000 people getting treatment at the jail. Um, So I started filming at the jail, and through my time filming there, I saw that a lot of the detainees were getting diverted into this mental health court program something I'd never heard of, and I was very interested to see what that was about. So we spent about eight months observing the court, um, and that's where I met Angela, Daniel, and Demeter, who the film becomes about, um, and it follows their lives over the course of five years as they go through that probation program and then in the years that that follow, how they navigate treatment, um, housing, and all of those things after they uh, graduate and complete this mental health court probation program. Yeah. So, so basically from, from what was it? 3000 a day to two or three very intimate stories. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, and it was hard to film in the jail I bet. Uh, because at a certain point, once the public defender's office got wind, you know, word that we were there filming in the jail, they didn't want any of their clients filmed, you know, because to an attorney, it's a risk, you know, what if they right. say something? And so that made it very difficult to 
try and start the film there. Uh, and that's, you know, that's what also sort of encouraged me to move to the mental health courts and start the film with people that had been incarcerated at the jail and were now dealing with those after effects, which, you know, it's very harmful to incarcerate people that are in a mental health crisis, if you can imagine. So, so is it, I'm pretty sure it comes out in the film, uh, Margaret, but essentially the issue was in Chicago that, that the hospitals were full, therefore, this is really all we can come up with. This is the best solution we have right now. Is that, is that, I mean, it's never that simple and mental health issues are quite complicated as we, we, well, hopefully most of us know, but, but is that what happened? Hospitals full, beds are full, got to get these folks somewhere. Yeah. Well, it's absolutely about lack of access to care. And what happened is in 2012, the mayor at the time, Rahm Emanuel, closed half of the mental health clinics. And so that left six mental health clinics. He closed the clinics in um, the most economically uh, struggling areas, the South and West Side. And that is why over the next two, three years, the Cook County Jail population surged. And, and was that was, point, Roger, was it was the justification for that just a financial thing or was like why would why would a mayor make that kind of what appears to be a pretty crazy decision like just sort of a blanket decision it, all, all I can say is it doesn't make any sense to me and there were a lot of activists out there trying to stop that from happening and at, at this time right now there's only five uh, community mental health clinics in the city of Chicago. Um, but I do know that our mayor, Lori Lightfoot, is increasing uh, mental health funding. But it, you know, it's, it's needed. I think preventative care, mental health um, community centers should be as common as libraries. You know, so every community should have one. You shouldn't have to take a bus and a train and a bus to get to your treatment. Uh, it should be in your neighborhood. Yeah, it's great. I, there's a, uh, a woman who uh, lives near here where, where we're just outside of Toronto, and she believes in this. Um, she, she runs a community center. Wonderful stuff, wonderful programs. Michelle Knowles, her name. And she believes in this kind of one kilometer, I guess that would be 0.6 of a mile for, for you Americans, radius. Like, what can we do, in a, right? Close to home in our backyard, right? issues seem to be all around us. Hey, yeah, absolutely. The, the establishing shot of your film is, is stunning. On reflection uh, back on the film and, and the story you're trying to tell, was there a little bit of, welcome to Chicago, this is way bigger than we realize. Like, I'm, I'm reflecting back on it now thinking, you know, you went from 3,000 a day to, to, to these several, several of these very personal stories, and yet Chicago's a pretty big city. Right. There's a, well, you know, what's interesting about that shot is it's it's filmed from my balcony from where I live from wow. the west side. And so that is the perspective of, you know, from the perspective of my home, I can kind of see because I'm in a high rise that where there's not a lot of high rises around us. And I can see um, almost where they all live from from that viewpoint. So Demeter lives on the north side of Chicago. Uh, Angela lives on the west side. 
and Daniel lives to the south in Cicero now. Yeah. And and this has been uh, this film, this story. When you started, you didn't. You didn't. I, I seem to get the sense that you didn't think you were going to be a part of it. it. Well, I mean, obviously, you're directing, you're filming, you're producing. You you are the film in in some some respects, but but you did not see yourself narrating, appearing on screen. Can you talk about that a little bit and how not only did that impact the the story and the filmmaking, but how did it impact you personally? Yeah, I definitely didn't plan on being in the film. I didn't think it was about me. Um, it, it's not, it, it wasn't a comfortable sort of easy decision. It was something that um, kind of happened gradually. And, um, you know, I think once when I was hospitalized during the making of the film, that's when I started to think like, after that happened, it's like, how do I tell that story? Is that part of this? And it was really working with um, our editor, Liz Carr, and my producer, uh, Letitia Dickerson, and our other editor, Rory McFadden, who encouraged me, made it a safe place. Um, And, you know, because you share a lot of things that don't necessarily end up in the film, but in order to get the story out, you have to put it out there. And so it was, uh, it was challenging, but it also, I think, was an important lesson for me as a filmmaker, as I continue to do this work, is that I now know how it feels to be vulnerable and in the film. And I am proud to stand next to you know, the people in the film and, and be a part of the story. You, you, um, you say up front, and I, I love this comment or this observation, you say that the way, I mean, you kind of imply that we're all just trying to figure it out. And I think that's absolutely true. Every single one of us in it. And who hasn't been touched by one form of mental illness or another, right? We all have on some level, we have it in our families, et cetera, and so on. But I love that you say one of, I think what you said is one of the ways you wanted to get to the bottom of this, I guess, if you could say is by making movies, by, by, by telling stories, by, by, I don't know, having this ongoing conversation with, with your viewing public, I guess you could say, does that make sense? Yeah. And I think making films is how I connect with people Mm. and connect with my community and build, you know, what I consider family, because if you film people for multiple years, those relationships are there. There's, they're so special. I mean, I, I can't, I can't even, I don't even know how to describe it, but other than to say they're, they're like family to me, you know, my previous film, which um, raising Bertie, which came out on uh, PBS in 2017, I'm still very close to the kids who are now grown men with families in the film um, and with the moms. And, and those relationships are, are important um, and uh, I think have a lot of meaning in, in my life and how I perceive the world. I must, that must change the way you film too, I would think, uh, you know, the, the, the intimacy, not only would it allow you, I would imagine more, more access, I suppose, and other greater, almost opportunity, I would imagine it probably pushes you ethically too, I would think 
like when you make editorial decisions. This is a friend of mine. This is I, I'm going to have to be careful how I represent them. Angela is a really interesting uh, case in point. How she sort of steps back from the film. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I, I I'm just I, I can't do this right now. I got to step because I don't feel. I guess she didn't feel safe for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's hard to be. Uh, it's hard to tell your story when you're in a vulnerable place, and yeah. certainly when you're in crisis. Um, and I, I would say one scene in particular in the, well, there's more than one scene, but one scene that comes to mind is when Angela is going to get her son back and she has to call the police to, to get him. And she had actually called me as a friend to come and support her. And I was at the time picking up my daughter from school. So I'm like, of course I'm going to come. But in my mind, I'm like, well, I also have a responsibility as a filmmaker and so it's just an example of this film was really that was all that struggle and decision making was always happening is, you know, pushing between these two roles of being a person who's going to be supportive in their life, who's going to keep showing up no matter what and and making a film, you know, and so balancing those two things. And at one point when I so. We went there, you know, I picked her up. We went to get Anthony and I did film. But at one point when I was filming and she was waiting for um, to see if they were going to bring him, she asked me to stop filming because she was it was such a painful moment for her. Mm, And I did put the camera down. But then, you know, my filmmaker brain was like, well, this scene isn't going to have an I, ending. I, I have I can't to film miss this. the. I, yeah, I have to film the. You know this. So, sure. so I found a way to put the camera back up, and you kind of see even in the as the scene ends that the camera is kind of showing my feet, and I put it down again because that's kind of what I was doing the whole process of filming. This is grappling with when I should film and when it wasn't appropriate. Oh, yeah. And I would think uh, documentarians, well, any filmmaker, anyone who's recording, especially someone's in, most intimate life, that's got it. That's I, I would hope that that filmmakers are asking themselves those questions and and not just, you know, stepping in without without I don't know, without remorse or without thinking through the potential implications, because there's so much trust there. Yeah. And and to me, it's like I think in a, a relationship like this is I always try to give because I don't want to be just taking. And so I want it to be an exchange, you know, is you're getting something from this. And also you're participating in this, you know, you're deciding how your story is told. I I really feel like we made this film together. This is what they wanted it to be about. You know, yeah, that's great. Daniel wanted me to film him going to buy shoes. You know, that was important (laughs) to him because that's his favorite thing, you know? And and so that's what we did. Yeah, it's cool. I love I love the family part of it, the community part of it. Um, you in the film as well. At a certain point, the camera is on you. I think you've you've just maybe come back from from your time away in the hospital, and and you basically say something to the effect of, "I just this is really hard to talk about. I just I'd rather not talk about this right now. Thanks very much." So I mean, talk about empathy compassionate empathy is is was that a realization for you during the filming because early on i think you say you always sort of looked at mental illness as a, as a weakness 
Yeah, I, I would mean, think, it, I would think a lot of people still do, Margaret. I know they do, and and I I think it's hard for me to think of all the people that may see this because I could easily say that there's people that I go, oh, I wouldn't really want them to know that about me, or you know, but but I doing this has forced me to really reevaluate that because I don't think that is the way I want to think about myself or other people, you know. And I think probably I'm harder on myself than anybody. That's um, probably true. Yep. But I think spending the time I have with with all of them has helped me to also just accept that this is what it is and that's okay. I totally hear you about being too hard on yourself. And sometimes that's, that is the hardest job, right? Just self-acceptance, self-love. I'm yeah. the, 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 I am nots scream pretty loudly. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Don't they? Yeah. Yes. It's, it's a, it's a troubling, uh, troubling thing. You, you talk about mental health being cyclical and you use some wonderful imagery for that. I mean, is that, do you, do you mean by that, that it's going to resurface no matter what you do? no matter the, whatever kind of care or community you live within, is that, is that sort of what you mean that it's, you know, it's always with you? I can only really speak to my own experience. And for me, since I was a kid, that's how it's been. It's always been a thing that pushes on me, you know, but I, I also think people can misconstrue that and think that there's no hope. And what I believe is that, treatment is something that is, can be effective. And so there's all sorts of things you can do to keep yourself on a healthy path. Um, Sometimes those things are out of our control. Yeah, no, that, that, that that makes sense. Hey, I I just realized, and maybe it's because I'm just in sort of hot docs mode, but I've forgotten congratulations on the film. I don't know if I said that out of the gate and, and this is world premiere at hot docs. Yes, world premiere in the international international spectrum program. Yeah, yeah, that's that is pretty pretty amazing. It's a it's a powerful, as I said, powerful, poetic, intimate piece. Uh, we're we're not wrapping up yet, so I hope you still have a few more minutes. But where can people find out more about the film and, and you? It's bettyfilm.com, B E T I. Is that right? Yeah, B E T I Films with an S dot com is my then, um, production company. And then the film website is anygivendayfilm.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Beautiful. And eventually, uh, people are going to be able to watch this on PBS as well. Uh, they'll, be able to, they'll be able to see it there. And maybe stay tuned to f- future festivals as well. Is that a... Is that a- Yes, absolutely. We're hoping that we'll um, have a strong festival run. So we will be out there. You'll be out there. That's, it's amazing. So, so is movie making for you? um, I hope this is a fair question, a form of therapy in a sense. Uh, um, And maybe that's not the right way to put it. Uh, Filmmaking for you is a conversation. That that might be a better question. I, I mean, I think it's such a big part of my life. I'm always doing it. I'm always, I'm, I live it, you know? Right. Right. It's good. I'm, I mean, I'm working on a, an eight hour series right now. I've I read about that in variety, uh, uh, fight, fighting time, I believe. Fighting time. And I'm already starting to film season two. And wow. because I, because it's just all there and I'm, I'm now so entrenched in it, you know? So this morning I was out doing something this evening, I'm going to be out filming you know, there's something really beautiful about living and making films in the place where you live, because I can go over here for an hour, come back here, do this interview with you, go film something else. It's not like we're going to fly in, we're going to 14 hours, we're going to get everything we can out of these people, and then we're going to go. Yeah I, yeah, I don't like to make films that way. I appreciate working on other people's projects and... Um, but when the, it's sort of like the luxury and the benefit of being a filmmaker, director, cinematographer is I can get my cameras and go film whenever something comes up, whenever I, you know, and, and it's, it's beautiful. And, and that's kind of how life is, you know, people, people, um, don't necessarily know. And then they call you and I, I show up, you know, and that's, those are the greatest moments to be, to be capturing. I, th- I think that's a, that, that's a wonderful, I'm so glad you talked about that because for me it's about context and it is about community. It's sort of that, that one mile or one kilometer radius thing. You're telling stories. This is how close you are to the real work, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's right. It's where you're, where you are. And I, I don't know, is that a shout out to new young filmmakers? Take, take your phone, take your Android phone and, and get out there and start, developing your next film? Absolutely. I, you know, honestly, I'll I'll be honest. I've been working on this series for over three years now and I haven't gotten any funding for it. Wow. So there are 
you can look at yourself as a resource. You know, you can look at all sorts of things as resources. It's not just about bringing in the money. Of course, fundraising and funding is critical. Uh, it, you know, it can't be done without some amount of money, but even any given day, it took me years to bring in money. So the film would have never happened if I waited for somebody else to mm-hmm. say, I get this. I see this. Why don't you do this? And I, I don't want anybody to give me the okay. I'm going to do it if I'm going to do it, you know, it's kind of how I we- feel about it. Yeah, no, it's great. I, I so love that. I I, uh, I interviewed Cody Westman uh, today about his new film, Heller Clean Water, and it's all about doing it. It's all about stepping in, taking the plunge, rolling up your sleeves, use whatever cliche you want, but but the work is important and, and you know, step into your future, right? I yeah. mean, and that's, that's what's so beautiful for me about your film. I mean, you, you got, I don't even know uh, where I'm going with this, but you know, you raised the question for me, how do, how does somebody live with this kind of mental illness who isn't in a community every day? How do you get out of bed in the morning when, when, when you're suffering from bipolar disorder, suicidal tendencies, depression, anxiety in this time of isolation during COVID? I mean, the escalation is, is just so significant. Do you have any insight on that? I mean, I think we sort of hear that at the end of the film, but I'd love to hear, Margaret, some of your thoughts on, are, are there sort of tools that, you know, people can use to, to help? Yeah. I think part of it is just having somebody who is going to hold you accountable and it's going to see you in those, in those moments um, because it's easy to sort of hide and not be seen if you don't want to be seen. And that's where I think you can spiral down at least for myself, you know, is that is it? Would you say that's uh, distinctive to some um, types of mental illness more than others? This idea of, you know, there's a there's a scene where I, where I think Demeter says he just doesn't want to go to any class, like it's just any classes. It's just like shutting. It's almost like shutting down. And uh, uh, I mean, I. I, I've suffered from depression. Uh, I would I would call it probably more anxiety, uh, and and just it it's it's a challenge. I don't want to equate any of my issues with uh, you know Angela or or or, or Daniel or uh, you know or yourself, but you know that's to my earlier point. We've all kind of t- touched these things in some way, shape, or form, and my first inclination is not not to pick up the phone, <laughs> you know, and yet. That's exactly what I need. Yeah, you end the you you end the film talking about connection and how important that is. Um, yeah, how how do we continue to water that seed? You know, I've only figured out how to do it through my movies, and and that is sort of like my savior in a way. You know, making the series I'm making, um, I. It's, it's a, it's a important, you know, it's such an important part of my life. I care so much about what happens to the people that are in it and I'm, you know, deeply connected to them and now very deeply connected to the Latinx community that I really was not um, engaged with before that, despite the fact that I've lived here a good part of my life, you know, and I'm from here. So I, I don't, I, I think we all need to find our own ways, our own flavor of how to do things like that. But for me, I find 
I find it in doing this work. Um, and I think the work to me is about contributing something to the places where so much has been taken. Mm. A Canadian indigenous writer said that Richard Wagami said, and I so love this quote, stories are meant to heal. Did you find as you went on shooting this film, I think you said over five year period and getting to know, you know, this family of this new family of yours, did you see some of that happen in the moment or, or sorry, over in the moment and over time, I guess is the question. Did you see some healing taking place? The, the power of, as you say, at the end of the film, there's power in connecting, right? That's so great. Yeah, I think absolutely. I, I think, I think, for all of us, we've talked about it. This project and just the act of doing it has benefited all of us in some way um, and has been healing, you know, for Angela to be able to take ownership and tell her story in her way uh, rather than, you know, say how the newspaper printed what happened, you know, that led to her incarceration. There's, there's power in that to understand who she is as a mother and all the, you know, the things that make up her life that aren't just this one incident um, or the illness that she was diagnosed with that perhaps wasn't accurate. Um, you know, if you're in jail and you're in solitary confinement and you get diagnosed with um, psychotic disorder, you have to question like, well, what led to that? You know, there must be such a lack of trust too. I would think within within the system itself, right? Well, why, 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 oh, you're just misbehaving or, or you're looking for a way out, right? I would imagine there is very much a cliche response to, uh, or, or maybe a very insensitive and cliched response within, within the prison system to, to folks with mental health issues. Well, the, what I, what I really took away from my experience being there is that people don't fully trust the the treatment providers at the jail because they're because they're incarcerated it's not exactly a safe place you know so you're not going to be honest and vulnerable when you can be sent to prison you know yeah honesty and vulnerability it seems to me that that really is uh, healing is, is rooted in that great communities rooted in that great conversations are rooted in that. It's just, it's, it's so fundamentally important. And you know, one thing that it made me think about is, you know, in the film, Angela, you find out that through this whole mental health court program, she wasn't taking her medication. mm. And the reason why there was this disconnect is because why on earth would you trust a system that puts you in jail in the first place for your mental health crisis? And now they're saying, be open, but we're going to report it all to the judge and to the system that incarcerated you in the first place. And so, of course, she didn't trust them. Of course, it took her another round of trouble to get back on her feet because she had to do it for herself, not for them. Right. Yeah. Which is so important because it seems to me to break out of that, there has to be the support mechanisms, but there also has to be that own personal intentional step in to towards healing. Right. It's, yeah, and uh, I don't know how you do that by mandating yeah. it through a court. So right. that's the, that's the tricky part of it. 
Well, it didn't, didn't, um, was it Daniel near the beginning of the film said something to the effect of, you know, how can I be mentally ill and a criminal? Yeah. That's Demeter. Yeah. Was it Demeter? Yeah. yeah. And he writes, he writes about that in his book, state of schizophrenia. So you're, you know, it's like, well, you incarcerated me, put me in jail. You told me I'm a criminal. And now you're telling me, no, it was your mental illness. You were in a state of mania. Doesn't make any sense. And, and to your point, when he got mad about not wanting to go to classes, it's because he was tired of doing all the sure. checking all the boxes for them, yep. feeling like it's not working, you know, not to say that it wasn't working. I think it was overall a positive experience for him, but it's a lot of um, it takes a lot of effort to get to court as much as you have to report. But Margaret, is, it, is there a sense in which. Is it still that classic, almost cliche that that the system treats us like numbers and just boxes to tick off because, you know, everyone's busy and we all have jobs and, you know, that's sort of the cynical approach. Oh, okay, well, I'll, ha- I'll help you to a point, right? It's almost anti-relational in a way, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, tra- it's all transactional. Um, transactional. It's good. It's all transactional. And it, it leads me to think about um, my series Fighting Time, which is about dozens of Latino and black men from the West Side that were allegedly framed with murders they didn't commit. And I think you you could say, well, how could that possibly? Sorry, that's my Alexa. How could that possibly? <laughs> how could that possibly be? Right. But if you think back in the 80s and 90s, there's 900 murders per year in the city of Chicago. And then you start to think at the patterns and practice that were happening in the Chicago Police Department, especially back then. Uh, and, and, and once you really dig into some of these cases, it's astonishing how easily you can throw away a life so that the mayor can get up there and say, we're clearing cases. You know, superintendent can get up there and say, well, we've got a problem, but we're clearing murder cases. Um, and that's a numbers game. And it has destroyed so many lives. Um, and then it also leaves the the person that actually committed the crime out on the street because it's right. not actually about finding the truth. It's about winning. You know, same thing with the state's attorney's office. You know, it, it doesn't matter if you have the right person. It matters that you have somebody. And all the better that if it's a gang member, they're a throwaway anyway, you know? So, mm. and that's, that's what we're finding has happened over and over and over. And it is, it is just unconscionable. Do you, do you we're going to probably have to wrap up in a couple minutes here. And always, uh, I, I'm, I'm starting to think that Margaret, that the, the, the sign of a great conversation is that it's unfinished, that we barely scratched the surface on your film, on the issues, on getting to know each other, on this conversation. So let, let's hope there there is another one for us down, down the road. Um, where where do you land? Is it more policy? Is it more top down first before grassroots and bottom up, or is it is it got to be both? And it usually is, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that from a a wider sort of. And I would imagine every city, every country is going to be different. Yeah, I mean, I think I think both sides of it is important, um, but I truly feel like my place is with the people, and I enjoy most um, working with people on a daily, you know, level and getting to know them in a deeper way 
so that I can effectively tell their story, you know, in the most authentic way. So I, my heart is definitely with, with the people that are going through it, you know, but, but it doesn't mean that that's the only story I'm telling. I'm looking at the whole structure of it all. You know, I, I'm very interested in talking to the policymakers and the, the people that are in positions of power. Yeah, it's uh, it's really a, a wise um, approach, it seems to me, because it's it's kind of a both. It has to be a both and. I mean, if it if it's about, and I think that's. I, I'm so glad you talked about one of the best things you love about uh, about the way you approach film is is you just sort of you don't you don't need to get on a plane to to tell the story. I love that, and I think I think that's a really important lesson for all of us to take away. If you want to you want to change the world, I don't know, just open the door and 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 have a look. Yeah. And, and, just, and, you just and, have to start. You just have you to gotta start. start somewhere. I mean, you beautiful, you end the film beautifully with this idea that, you know, pe- people can look ordinary and, and, and still be carrying that, that, that mental illness, that baggage. There's, there's just this idea that there's so much more going on than meets the eye is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Thank you. We've been talking with Margaret Byrne here today on Face to Face. Her new film, Any Given Day, is uh, at Hot Docs. Uh, make sure you ch- you check it out, Margaret. What a, what a pleasure having you having you on the show today. It, it really and and can you tell us a little bit about the uh, more about the series Fighting Time before we let you go, or w- when's it airing and et cetera? How do we get to see it? So we're still looking for distribution. I'm hoping that it'll find a home on a streaming platform. Um, or premium cable, I think. And uh, we're following um, half a dozen cases through the post-conviction process now for the last three years. So we actually just filmed in court yesterday, uh, the first time we were back in in-person court. So that was a, it's a good sign that things are starting to open up here oh, in Chicago. Good. And uh, yeah, we're, you know, I think the one thing that commercial... Um, you know, commercial entities and distributors don't really want to take on is the risk of time. And, you know, with a wrongful conviction cases, you don't know how long they're going to take to resolve. But that's something that I think, you know, I have no problem sitting with this until there's resolve in their cases, you know, and following this until, until we see, you know, what happens. And I think, you know, right now, We've been in court for almost three years and we're getting ready to see some of these cases, you know, get to the final evidentiary stage. So that's very exciting to see um, that things are starting to happen in these cases. That's amazing. It sounds like a, a, a marvelous story, important again, and very, very personal. And I so love your commitment and I so admire the commitment of documentarians everywhere. Like there's a there's a real um, stick to itiveness that, that this type of storyteller has that I don't think other storytellers necessarily, uh, have. So thanks for that. And if you want to find out more uh, about Margaret and the work she does, birdie films with a, with an S plural.com is where they can, sorry, sorry. Birdie, where did the, where that where did that come from? That must be the street gang, Sesame well, Street. that's my film. movie, Raising Bertie. That's there you go, Raising yeah. Bertie. So it lots came from somewhere. Them. Yeah, it came from somewhere. That's yeah. right, Margaret. What a pleasure having you on the show today. Th- thanks so much for your time, uh, Margaret Byrne. In any given day. Yeah, thank you. So there you have it. 
my conversation with Margaret Byrne and her important and intimate new film, Any Given Day. Find out more about it, anygivendayfilm.com. You can find out about the next screening, which is happening in April at the Real Abilities Film Festival in Manhattan. And I'm sure uh, there's going to be more screenings coming up. In fact, you can host your own. So check that out. Uh, Follow them online and uh, learn more about Any Given Day. And like I said, super important film and and, and what a great conversation with Margaret. Thanks, Margaret, for for joining us today on Face to Face. Don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my writing and and, and speaking. Facetofacelive.ca for a whole host of other interviews. Lots of great stuff coming up. Please, one request is, if you can't do anything else other than, you know, listening and getting this far, please leave us a review. I would so appreciate it uh, on iTunes or Spotify. And sign up wherever you listen to podcasts and socially mediate the heck out of us if you can. We'd appreciate that too. But a review really does go a long way. Thanks for joining us today and for listening in on this uh, wonderful interview with Margaret Byrne about her new film, Any Given Day. And we will be back with you very soon here on Face to Face. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.